0: All right, everyone, this is the first episode of the Four Reason podcast, and um, I got to put a special message on the front. One, thank you for uh, spending time with me in this podcast. Um, it's a nonprofit. It's a not-for-profit venture. It's just to um, spread awareness and take the stigma away from mental health. So I hope that uh, you guys enjoy it, and it's a resource for people to share their stories and just... Whoever God leads on that. But also, my camera shut off. There was a setting issue going on with the cameras. Um, they're brand new. I've never had cameras like this before. And so they shut around the 12 or 15-minute mark. I apologize for that. and um, But the audio is still good and it continues on. So um, I'd appreciate your feedback on the podcast. I normally wouldn't post an episode like this, but I had to because it has such good content. So thank you and my apologies on with the show
1: perfect
0: perfect all right. Um Hold on a sec before we start. I've always spelled your La- I always said your last name wrong. Littell. Littell. Yeah. Brent Littell. When yes. you spell it on Instagram, are you spelling it different to be cool or is that how you actually spell? Uh, I don't it? want
1: people to be able to find me. But it's spelled regular Brent. Be- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I spe- um I don't want employees looking me up. Okay. That makes no. sense.
0: That makes sense. They don't want to see your Disneyland adventures.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah what <laughs> I'm really afraid of is they go back like you know, seven or eight years and I made a joke or something that they try and get me with. Yeah. 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 yeah you don't want them to dig up your, like your Rodney King jokes or just kidding. All
0: right. Well, Hey man. Um, it's good to have you here, uh, Brent and, uh, it's been a long time, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing before we start, I got to tell you this, when I think of you, this comes to mind and I've always wanted to tell you this. I haven't told you this, but I want to thank you for, um, you know, you talked to me a lot after training jujitsu, and it made a big difference, dude. Like to you, you're like just you're you. To you is probably regular because everyone comes to you, you know, for right. for advice. But the one that really helped the most was um, when my my friend a few years ago. Do you remember I talked to you, my friend, who had taken his own life? Taken yes. his life. I couldn't make sense of it, and it was tearing me up. And I was like, man. And you like broke down certain things, and the way you like the information you gave me, I don't, you know, we don't have to go down that road, but you know, that, that conversation, it gave me peace. Like I, I understood like, um, I didn't understand why I did it. I understand now cause I've been through crap in my life since yeah. pushed somebody to the brink, but it made me just, thank you, man. Thank you. I'm oh. sorry. I'm
1: going to go down this road and I don't want to get all, get all sobby or, That's or whatever. Okay. Um, especially around suicide, uh, that form of grief is really complicated Yeah. Uh, So many preventable, quote unquote, preventable deaths uh, leave us with a lot of lingering questions. The bargaining. What could I have done? How could I have done it? What could other people have done? Um, Anger towards the person. Uh, It's a very tricky form of grief. And it's hard, I think, for people who have never been suicidal to understand what gets people to that point and um you know it's it's not it's often not an act of anger it's an act of attempting to relieve relieve themselves right Is let me yeah. relieve myself from the pain that i'm in and um you know it's uh it's also hard to reframe a lot of our interactions with them to say hey i did bring them joy and even though the end result might you know have been a, a completed suicide there were moments of joy I brought in their life and I need to reflect on those too. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I can, comp- I'm,
0: I'm with you, man. And, um, not to go far down the rabbit hole of uh, suicide, but that point you made about like, you're discussing right now how we're talking about, um, how suicide, uh, is like a relief and you don't understand it. Like I didn't understand it. I went through the phase of anger. It's weird. Like I was sometimes I'd be driving my car. I'm gonna I'm not I don't wanna put his business out, so I'm gonna call him John Doe. Okay. But I um I would, sometimes I'd be, I'd be driving down the street and I'm like, damn it, John, really? Like it it's you know what I'm saying? Like it, it just it would hit you. And what sucked is I spoke to him right before he did it, you know? And I was so I kept thinking about did I say something that contribute? Like it just sends this uh freaking thing spinning. But I as I then I came to the collusion, especially after talking to you, I was like, if he was gonna do it, some some people they're just gonna do it. You can't, you know, like fantasizing about it, leading up to it and so forth. But just the ability to do it, I never understood that. But um I had, you know, uh there's a conversation you and I had over the phone, even though know, we don't see each other in person, we talk over social media right. with jujitsu memes and jokes. And then I called you on the phone, but just to kind of share again is that now I understand because um you know, having a trauma wound in my, from my own personal experience, had a trauma wound. Um, it was like I had something happen to me that trauma was attached to it. The event of what happened to me didn't send me down the rabbit hole. It was the attached trauma that sent me down the rabbit hole. And when I went so f- it was such a rapid decline. Like I could look back in retrospect and um, I probably declined from sane. Is, is it,
1: is it not sane to get there? um it's it's hard with we don't like necessarily use those terms but let's say um detached from reality right and um detached from ourselves dissociated is usually with trauma where we where disorganized i mean these are kind of the more clinical things we would look at okay
0: Disassociated. that's the correct word then it, yeah it depends on here keep going
1: and okay well, see. well
0: you know what my I see a therapist, and my therapist told me, not with this, but the subsequent events, I was disassociated, which I'll explain in a second. Right, and then we won't go. We'll get off the. We'll get off the suicide. Well, I too.
1: think dissociation is important to talk about. It is one of the few symptoms that um, providers are really lacking in. You know, I've had a, hundreds of um, therapists under my purview. Yeah. And when somebody with severe dissociation comes in, uh, there are a lot of them who are lost, and they misdiagnose. Um, Probably two of the big ones are derealization and depersonalization. Uh, They are diagnoses that uh, a lot of therapists, even psychiatrists, miss. People experience them. And because the mental health community can kind of miss those, they feel especially crazy, right? Yes. That what we call stigma. They f- they feel the stigma of feeling crazy. Like, wow, I have something so difficult and rare that you know my doctor seems a little bit um, shaky about treating it. My therapist doesn't really know and is seeking consultation on it. Um, but it, it's actually really common, right? Derealization being the feeling that the world is not real, like I'm living in a movie. Uh, most of us have experienced it in moments of uh, very quick trauma, like when you're in a car accident and, and you feel like it's going slow motion and you're almost like you're looking at yourself from outside um, and this can't be real at this moment. Um, depersonalization where the voice in your head doesn't feel like your own anymore. Like I, I just got to get back to that person I was. My brain doesn't feel like it's working right. I feel like the voice in my head isn't really the voice I had before. I'm not comfortable in myself. Yeah. Um, and those two um, – I know I, we've taken a tangent, but you've, you've touched on a button for me, which <laughs> yeah. is these diagnoses, which are highly related to trauma, um, highly related to uh, suicide as well, um, they're really understudied, underpublished, um, and undertreated. And the only thing that the general public knows about dissociation – is usually the worst one, which is the dissociative identity disorder, which we would call multiple personality disorder back in, in the day. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, well, there's that one. Um, and that's it. And it's like, no, there's a lot of grades of dissociation. Okay. Wow, man. I mean, you're blowing my mind
0: and you're explaining what I went through. Like, I, like, like there was a person, and I'll just keep it general, but we'll tie it all in. There was a person that I viewed as a family member and like genuinely, but that's from my own childhood issues, but I viewed them as a family member and they did a few things, but then like, like bad to me, but then did a, like a, a cold uh, discarding, like just like, uh, I was going to go to an old reference of the gong show, but I don't think anyone would get that. Yeah. But let's, let's say, um, um, America's Got Talent, just 3 x to me, right? Get off the stage. Like, I got cold cut off, no reasonable explanation, just, you know, boom. And it was weird because there was a hurt of the relationship, of losing that relationship with that person, but the, like, I kind of, it's weird in my mind, I could almost see the percentages. It was like 10% hurt of losing the relationship, but there was this 90% overwhelming, unidentified feeling that I never felt before and I remember I, I vividly remember going something's wrong like there's something wrong with me this was immediately after this person disregard like discarded me yeah. within moments I was like wait a second there's there's something a feeling I've never felt like I I couldn't even describe it and
1: like you didn't feel yourself
0: yes yeah, yeah it was immediate it was like right. yeah like hitting hit with a dart in the neck with a drug like it was so
1: fast and I just want to go back I just want to go back to how I felt before
0: yeah, well, yes, but that eventually came. But the initial was, "What is this? Like, did I just step into another dimension? Like, it everything seemed weird." And when I, within days, I would say less than a week, I it was like my mental health went to what you call it with a D again.
1: <laughs> uh, well, we have dissociation, decompensating, D- all that right, right. dysregulated, dysregulated. Yeah, we got lots of D words.
0: It went to dysregulated within days. Like I it was like I was go it was like someone put a chain around my ankle and was pulling me down a hole. And I was trying to do the David Goggins like no 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 we could do this. We could and I was like wait that got cold plunge it bro. Yeah, cold plunge it, right? Nothing was working. Nothing was working and I was thinking what is this? And um by the time I went to a therapist, because I, I was seeing a therapist regularly for, it's a long story, there's some legal stuff going on. Not against me,
1: but some legal <laughs> stuff going on. Uh, don't worry, I get, <laughs> I get legal referrals all the time. Things from okay. car accidents yeah. and the like, you know?
0: Well, I had a, I was seeing a therapist with that, right? And uh, I, rem, uh, I remember going in there, and by this point, I had chewed through my left cheek. This was within days. I hadn't slept. I'd probably lost... Maybe 10 pounds. I had told the person who dysregulated me, hey, please stop saying these things. They kept saying things that poking. They knew what it was. They kept poking at it. They wouldn't stop. I said, dude, I've lost 10 pounds. Something's wrong with me. They didn't care. They just ah, just gave it to me. So I had to cut them off, right? When I went there, I chewed through my cheek, couldn't sleep, had lost 10 pounds within a week. And I remember cold, sw- like I had a physical reaction. Like it was, It was hot weather. But I was freezing and sweating at the same time.
1: Rapid heartbeat is often one of the things over a long, prolonged period of time.
0: Yeah, yes. Rapid heart is. is that makes the metabolism crank? Is that what's going on there?
1: Oh my god! Like, well, it's so. Yeah, it's the fight or flight. Well, there's uh, there's actually more than fight or flight. It's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Um, what is fawn? Fawn is uh, okay. It's it's a good question. Everyone asked that question. Um, let's say you're on the prison yard. Okay. And the, there's the biggest, baddest dude there. Uh-huh. And so you start thinking to yourself, dude, I can't take this guy. I, you know, What am I going to do? I don't want to get on his bad side. Let me become his best friend. Oh, So you, you've encountered a threat, which is this big, bad dude who hurts people. So you end up getting on his side. You're like, okay, yeah, you're the best. You're the baddest. You're the this. So that they leave you alone. Okay. So All that's right. what fawn is, is uh, in the moment you try and – take the side of that person. You try and garner their good favor so that they don't hurt you.
0: Okay. I think I've done I'm pretty sure I've done that before growing up. Absolutely. Being short and filip, half Filipino. Yeah. A, who's the biggest
1: bully here? Let me become friends with the bully. So then they don't bully me. They bully someone else. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. I've done that. So I think I went to more of... um. I don't know. We're I don't talking
1: e- about your, like your metabolic response, right? So then I was saying okay, it was the flight. rapid it was heartbeat, flight. yeah, is flight. something's attacking me, right? We can't, we our amygdala, which is the part of our brain that is responsible for anxiety. It doesn't differentiate between emotional threat and physical threat. And so there was a threat. Well, what happens to us when there's a threat? We need to run or we need to fight. And so our body needs blood. So what does our heart do? It begins to accelerate to get blood to all your appendages, so you can run, you can fight, you can do all of the You sweat, so you become slippery. If uh, if you're prey and something's trying to hold on to you, you're now slippery and you can get away. So your body was in this extended period of threat, and the threat was to your identity, to your mental health, um, and that led you to you know for multiple days on end feeling. Cold, right, um, adrenal, that's part of your adrenal glands, right, is kicking out so much adrenaline. If you've ever had an adrenaline dump and then you start shivering afterwards, you know, okay. you, had, you had an extended period of that. Oh so your God. body was just in full threat mode, right? As I am in, I have an intense threat going on. And so I need, my body is responding to it. My amygdala, this almond part of our, our almond um, shaped part of our brain that's responsible for our anxiety, it's often called the lizard brain because it's part of uh, – it's kind of what our f- brain formed around. If you go to a lizard, they have a giant amygdala, and that's pretty much all they have in their brains. <laughs> right? But then we develop this prefrontal cortex, um, which is why it's so important not to hit the front of your head. But um, we have the prefrontal cortex that says, hey, amygdala, shut up. It's not it's not that kind of threat. Okay. All right. right. So um, – and that, by the way, the interaction between the two of those, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, is affected by how we grew up um, and our attachment. But in your case, you know, you have this family figure, they're threatening some form of your identity, your amygdala is going off, and your prefrontal cortex can't get it to be quiet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was here's the weird thing my brain go, went into analyze mode, and I was like, why do I feel this way? But it was just so unidentifiable. Like, I could not figure out, like, like, I've like, I've been through a divorce, and I would say that the, up until this, the divorce was the worst thing that has ever happened to me. It was so um, destabilizing mentally. But it was 100% emotional heartbreak, like the soul, death, odds, right? And that went on for a while. I didn't feel that, but it had the same intensity. I was like, I don't feel, like, super heartbroken. And I remember maybe about day five, or day six, right, all the bad things that have happened to me when I was younger, all the major events, flooded my mind. Like, it was like someone opened the gate, and we just, 24 cr- seven, and I got to the point, I, it was like, I've said this, I use this analogy before, but you ever seen those like movies, like say uh, about the Iraq war, and or in a war, and they're like, they're in a base, and the base is getting overrun, they go, uh, the enemy's inside the wire, he's inside yeah. the wire, like bomb us like it's it's over we're, we're overrun that's what it felt like the i wasn't able to hold anything back anymore and i ended up doing emdr which i'll discuss at another time or explain at another time but that's what saved my life emdr and um uh i mean i thank god for emdr but that took a few weeks to get to you know to get the scheduling find someone or whatever a good person so let's say week two like, this is a rapid decline in mental health. Like, I at the point leading up to it, I was running my business. I was training for the world championships at jujitsu, I was ready to go within, I'd say, a 24-hour period of being told those words. It just sent me down a rollercoaster. Day three, I'm done. And then um, probably about week two, the suffering was so bad, I had lost my will to live. It broke me down to, like, I've never been overwhelmed. Like, I did not know that psychological suffering... Would you agree that psychological suffering is probably the worst form of suffering?
1: There are no pain pills that really work for psychological suffering, right? Yeah, exactly. So when we look at it, physical suffering, in the end, you can go get some Dilaudid and kind of numb yourself for a while. You know, all the all of the drugs in the world can't really get away from emotional suffering. Uh, I know people would make the argument that heroin will will get rid of it or whatever it may be, but I've yet to meet a really happy heroin user. So, Yes, yeah. That doesn't work out too well.
0: Right. Yeah, and you could could actually use that drug for pain for long term. Right. Yeah, but, yeah. So, I mean, to bring it full circle regarding uh, suicide, the The thought of not wanting to live, I was real. I was already there. I lost my will to live, and I was at the point of like wanting wanting to die. But I did not take any steps at that point. And I remember thinking, I actually thought of my friend for a moment and thought, I get it, I get it, man. People don't know. Like people look at the one event, like the straw that broke the camel's back. Is oh, really? He. He quit over that. Why did he quit? Why yeah. did he even quit? No, dude, it's the monsters. It's the monsters fr- from all the years, especially childhood years. Those guys came out to the party and just absolutely—they um, showed up in full force. And I have like a profound under. Actually, the, that's the inspiration of this podcast. Right. Which, um, I mean, not just the inspiration. It, I mean, yeah, the epiphany of us like I need to. We need to get these resources out, like with people like you. All the your, you know, the the um the areas, your areas of expertise. People need to know this stuff. A lot of people right now that are probably even listening to this are probably like, "That's me." I, I'm, and they don't know what to do. They didn't know that these resources are out there. And I thank God that I have friends, at inner circle that check on me enough. And one of my friends saw me. By the time I went to EMDR three weeks later, I was probably about twenty four pounds. Um, lost twenty four pounds, and it didn't help that I had a heart condition that. At the time the doctors didn't have regulate, so I could have a heart attack, a stroke, 90% chance at any moment. So that's floating <laughs> in the back, right? Yeah. So I was like, dude, when it rains, it pours. But so my point is that I respect it now and I respect mental health. I don't I don't look at it like, oh, well, my friend that took his life, man, he took the easy way out. It's that's not the easy way out. It's not because to do that's not easy. That's a hard path too, but I could understand that there's suffering, silent suffering that could be so bad that
1: you need a break. You need out. Right there. Um. It's also Suicide Awareness Month right now, so. Oh, is it? We're, yeah, we're having that discussion. Oh, well, yeah. crap. Here we go. Yeah, if, if I had my badge on, you'd see the uh, <laughs> <my> little <laughs> pin and stuff. But um, so we we have to um. Whenever talking about suicide, I always want to be a little careful because I don't also want to give tacit permission. So what I will say about it and tacit permission, meaning like, you know, when you begin to say, yeah, I see why people take the way out. Right. I don't want to say like, so for anyone out there suffering, like, you know, (laughs) here is a here's a uh, green light. Yeah. No. And what I talk to people about is that when they get to that point, it's almost like a form of psychosis. Uh, I Look, nobody is going to agree with me in my community with using that term. I just don't have a better term for it. But it's the loss of connection to reality because the belief is is that what's happening to to me right now will not stop happening or what I'm feeling right now, I will not stop feeling. And the reality is, is that there is no feeling that lasts forever. There is no thought that lasts forever. We get in that rut and we start to see no way out. However, you know, as every feeling we ever have is transient, so we have to stop looking from this very myopic perspective of the moment today is the moment tomorrow, is Right we cannot predict how we're going to be. And to, to give it a completely pessimistic slant is, is a loss of contact with the reality that we've had for our whole lives, which is ups and downs and even yeah. people who are suffering, you know, I, I run in, I've run inpatient, fa- mental health facilities, outpatient. I've seen, you know, people of, from all walks of life and at all levels of mental health decline. And there are, People who tell me, you know, I'm I'm having the worst, I have the worst life and all this, but they still find moments of joy in their life. And I'm now, yeah, they may be fewer and far between, but this belief system during that moment before suicide, it's almost, you know, we have to look at it like a fit of suicide as well, because people think everyone who commits suicide has this long-standing plan that they've been thinking about for days. And there are definitely those people. So for some of them, there's a period of agitation right beforehand. And then there's a moment of peace, uh, what we call flight to health, because they have now made peace with the fact that they're going to die, so all their problems kind of go away. They go, okay, well, I don't have to worry about it. Like if, if they have financial problems, I don't have to worry about that anymore because that's not going to – if I do this, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be around um, to face that issue. Man, I got lost. I started visualizing somebody – that, uh, I had lost. So, uh, kind of who had that, but, Oh, I was talking about fits of suicide, but there are some people who have these just kind of moments out of nowhere. Um, it's very quick and fleeting. It can be for like 10 or 15 minutes. Those are the people that actually scare us practitioners the most who kind of, you know, have been going through life, aren't having a lot of suicidal ideation. Then something hits them, whatever it may be, you know, it can just be the time of year and uh reminds them of an anniversary of something bad that happens and then they'd go, I should just end it And they only have like this quick 15 minute window where they have this f- from feeling to execution. Um, and if you and if you interject during that time, then afterward they go, I don't know what came over me during that time you know they have these little bouts. So our view of suicide is always that like it's been a you know long-standing plan. They're collecting the means that they're gonna do. maybe they write a note. Um, you know, they find the location and then they tie up loose ends. They give away their things that are of value to them. They tell people some final kind of weird cryptic goodbyes, but that's not always how it goes. Sometimes it's just a very quick burst. Their mind goes into a dark place. They have the means available and they go there too.
0: What you're saying reminds me of that guy. I don't know his name, but he's a uh, motivational speaker now. He jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. He survived. I feel like I've
1: heard about this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He said that uh, part way down, he's decided, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. A little too late. Yeah. Well, nah, and, not uh, easier. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's very rare because the, the he broke, I forget the speed. It's 70 something miles an hour. You hit the water. And he went in, fortunate he went in feet first. Right. And he went in feet first. And he goes, another thing people don't realize is that when you hit the water, you go down 70 feet. So he went down pretty far and he was like, I don't wanna I don't wanna die. And his legs didn't work anymore because he had injured his spine. So he said he was uh swimming, you know, like just uh like with his arms and you know, made it to the surface and was able to float. And there's a few other things. Um there's actually some animals. I think it was a um what's out there? Not a walrus. One of those seals. The seals were pushing him up. Oh pushed him up. Yeah. And there's Get witnesses that saw it. Yeah, there's witnesses that saw it. So there's a statue that uh, people t- um, they put out there or whatever. But um, yeah, that must have been a fleeting one then, right? right. Like a, because he said that when he was on the edge, he goes, "If someone even just says hi to me or something, I will not do this." Like he said, he was so rational. Yeah. And and he goes, people are taking pictures, looking at him, and just he was invisible, and he was like, "I'm going." But um, yeah, let me let me. Uh, Before we get off this topic, I want to say one thing too, because yeah, you're right. By me saying I I get it, I'm just expressing that I understand it now. Yes. And I have a respect
1: for it. Like before, I had no respect. I'm being
0: uh, completely honest.
1: Right. Is we want to degrade the person who did it as somehow weaker, um, not as intelligent, uh, a quitter, like, man, they
0: give up. Yes. And now, like, I get why, you know, like soldiers, You know, come back from the um, war, and they do it. You know, like there's sometimes there's so much pain. There's so much pain inside that um, it's it's undescribable. It's just it's it's like radioactive pain. But um, so I want to point out that one, don't ever do it. Whoever's listening, don't ever do that. But also. I mean, don't ever do it because what happens, I've been on the receiving end of someone who's done it and um, it's like your pain is dumped out onto them. It was dumped out onto me. I got to carry it for the rest of my life. And I've learned to navigate it and deal with it. But even his closer family, they're struggling.
1: Yeah. God, I can't believe I'm forgetting this. I'm sure on my drive home, I'll remember. It's either the gift of 30 or the gift of 20. And I can't remember it. But um, family members, those close to somebody who commits suicide, are at twenty uh, percent or thirty percent. I, you know, I don't want to spit out the statistic incorrectly. So it's one, it's one of those two or somewhere in the ballpark are more likely to commit suicide then. so you, by the act of doing it, have now put everyone in your social circles at risk. That makes sense.
0: That makes sense because you have you read about someone who's done it and they go, "Oh, his brother committed suicide," or "His dad," and you're like, is it running the family? No, it's that, right?
1: Right. There's a, a contagion effect to suicide that people don't realize either. So when a high schooler commits suicide, it's a big deal. I mean, not only because they're a young life, and, but also because we see a lot of um, then people at that same school or nearby schools that knew the kid, and they you'll see an increase in suicide attempts or completed suicides uh, around that time. Also, whenever a celebrity commits suicide, we see an increase in in suicide you know uh when robin williams uh committed suicide people we see a spike in suicides because people also go wow and that's what i talked about like the tacit um permission is people go wow if if that guy who i thought their life was together i mean you know with robin williams that guy's a, a celebrity people didn't know his medical issues that were going on and he's doing it and i've got my problems and i've never had the joy and you know been a been in Miss Doubtfire and Good Morning Vietnam or whatever. My life's never been even close. Why am I still here? And so we have to be very careful too. Like what you're pointing out is is there the contagion effect is suicide is contagious. And so when you do it, you put everyone else at risk. And that's not something I think anybody wants to do.
0: Yeah. yeah. And one thing too, I think people look at it as, well Robin Williams did. It must not be that bad. You know, like it's it's almost like a, a green light like you Know, like, yeah, it, it, it almost makes it
1: kind of a little bit more okay. Yeah, know? there was a uh, so I was working as part of a crisis stabilization team, and um, that show, and I never watched it, but it was called 13 Reasons Why. Yeah, and I get and I didn't watch it because I was so angry at the show because it made my uh the calls to the you know crisis stabilization basically. You know, uh, you go to your school counselor or you're at your doctor's office and then you say, I want to commit suicide. And then, you know, we would come out as part of a, a team and assess, OK, do you need to be hospitalized or, you know, can you meet with uh, a mental health person within a day, 24 hours um, and and see them. And when that show came out, our the, the number of calls, the frequency of calls went up so much. I was, Jeez. Like, I was like, I hate this show. <laughs> I like – so education with suicide is so tricky because I I don't think the creators ever intended that. Yeah. Um, they I think, probably didn't even know. Right. And like I said, I haven't even seen it, but it, it was probably cathartic for them to write it. And um, they also probably thought they were getting out good messaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the show, but the reality was I, I think a character in it died uh, of suicide, and then it was kind of like a postmortem. Whatever it was, there was the element of suicide to it. Uh, and really getting into the mind of the person who committed suicide. So then, all the kids who watched it.
0: Yeah. Actually, I watched the first season of it. Well, not, yeah. maybe not the whole first season. No, yeah. I watched a few episodes. Take that back. A few episodes. And see, back then, I had the mindset of like, you weak, entitled kids. Because yeah. I grew up in a bad area. Bad, uh, not the best. So I'm like, dude, I would give to have your life. So I was looking at this like, I can't take this crap. But now... Oh, yeah. And to explain how the show works, it was. It was basically, I think it was a video or a letter. And they're explaining the 13 reasons why. And it's like, well, Brent, do you remember that one time you uh, uh, took my girlfriend and then rubbed it in my face? Okay, that's reason number three. Like, Uh, they just
1: went down a list. And so. Right. Well, you bring up a great point, which is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you looked at the kid, you know, I, I, so, you know, let's say it's an upper middle class kid or something to that extent, and they commit suicide. And then we go, man, I wish I, if I had that, their housing situation, if I had their money situation, they got fresh clothes or the newest kids. It'd be 13
0: reasons why I'm bawling. Yeah. That's that's what it would be called then.
1: And that is a belief system that's out there. And, uh, it, it's actually, it, it doesn't harm, um, the recipient of the envy as much as it harms the envious, but it can hurt hurt the uh, envied as well. Which so Maslow's hierarchy of needs it's a, a basic, and I'm not going to do it justice, but it's a basic psychological premise created by Maslow, and it was the idea of how do we become happy. So he he built this pyramid, and he's and with a, each level you go up, you can't go up unless you have the level below. So the bottom level is physiological needs. Um, what I call the rule of threes or rule of twos depends uh, what medic you ask. And so those are your your absolute needs to survive air, right? We can go two or three minutes without air and then we're you know virgin on death. Um, water, we can go two or three days without water and then we're gonna die depending on you know the temperature. could be two or three hours if you're in Vegas. Um, <laughs> and then food, we can go two or three weeks without food and then we we die, which I learned. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's that bottom rung. You cannot get happy unless you have those things. and then we go up to the next level, which is shelter, what they call security. Um, and so you know, I get my food water and and uh, I get my food, water, air, now I need shelter. Okay, that's moving me up. Then the next rung is uh, gonna be, oh, God, I always mix these two up. Self-esteem. And then followed by love, and then self actualization. Sometimes I mix up the self esteem and um, love, but what you were doing is you were looking at, man, if I had those bottom two rungs, if I had you know the food, whatever, water, and the security, including like the clothing, I would be happy. And I'm going, no, 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 you wouldn't, because that's just the bottom rungs. Yeah. Next, you need to get to the part where you have good feelings about yourself, where you have people who love you, and then finally self-actualization, which for Maslow meant finding a thing you are meant to do in this world and doing it. Yeah. Um, and so that is a common myth that we see about people's beliefs is, you know, if I just focus on, uh, I, you know, I, I think you're of the age that after Saturday morning cartoons, there were Sally Struthers would come on. Sally Struthers would go to – it was usually Ethiopia. It was somewhere along uh, uh, the Horn of Africa or something. And and she would go to Ethiopia, Somalia, Eritrea, um, and they had a drought and they had a a famine. And, you know, you'd see these kids and you'd look at them and you're eating your – you know, drinking Ecto Cooler and eating Cheetos and going, man, those kids are just so bad off. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to live in America or wherever you live. Or I'm just thankful not to be there. I should be happy. I go, uh, let's not punish ourselves and go, well, if I just had food, water, and shelter, I'm happy. Because the reality is when we study people – I mean that that is we need those to be happy but that's not what pushes us to happiness. Happiness then comes from those are the that's the foundation we need but then we also need love and we also need self-esteem. We also need to be doing the things that we need to do in life to feel great about ourselves. So just focusing on what like what I what I have physically that isn't going to help me necessarily achieve happiness emotionally because it's also the emotional components i need food water shelter air but i that's not going to take me over the top and so just focusing on how i'm so lucky to be at the bottom to have the bottom two rungs of maslow's hierarchy it's not that helpful
0: yeah yeah you know what and the way i see that is uh interpret that is
1: you ever see someone like um what do you? What city did you grow up in? Uh, I'm afraid to tell you. There's so much stigma involved. Orange County? No, in L. A. Oh. So, oh, no, L. Like, a. Okay, I was born in Beverly Hills. Oh my god! Yeah, I know, I yeah. Know, so so much you stigma. and then, uh, <laughs> you know, we 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 moved a little bit around there, uh, moved to Brentwood, and then finally kind of uh, put my roots down in Pacific Palisades. So rough. Oh, okay. A, a, a rough go at it in life, right? <laughs> you know. Uh, I think, yeah, I think and people I'm, and say I'm friends
0: with Eddie Bravo and, and Joe, Joe Rogan, Rogan. He yeah. talks
1: about me all the time in the podcast, which is true Yeah, and yeah. um, uh, and I went to Elementary school with Paris Hilton Okay, alright, um, that makes sense And one of my good high school buddies Who I just saw recently dated um, Kim Kardashian in, uh, in junior high school Another one of mine dated Paris and Nikki Ritchie um, <laughs> So yeah, I grew up In a little different different world, but, but okay,
0: the, okay, with yeah. that environment mm-hmm. Did you have anyone who like Try to be a gang member, or try to be street.
1: I don't care. Come at me, Sean Stewart. But I'm gonna put you on blast. Oh. Um, R- Rod Stewart's son. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, Rod Stewart's son. You know, he said come at me, Ro- Come at me, Sean. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, because he's kind of he's he's a, a media person. Um, oh, is- yeah, yeah. So he had a gang. It was called Walking Time Bomb. What? Yeah, so he That w- sounds intimidating. Yeah, yeah. So he <laughs> he went to elementary school at El Rodeo in Beverly Hills. Um <laughs> so it's uh over there on Wilshire. And it's the the nice part of Beverly Hills elementary school. So there's like El Rodeo, which is the And then the, you get then the you nice... get down
0: where he goes to Rodeo when he, when it becomes <laughs> yeah, rodeo, yeah, I not know what rodeo you're talking about. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. and then there's yeah the, um and then at the other end is Horse Man, which is like the not so nice of Beverly Hills, <laughs> and then in between you have like Hawthorne. So um <laughs> so he went to the the rough, the the rough school. Or sorry, the good school, not the rough school. So he started a gang there, walking time bomb. Mm. And then in mm. high school he started to associate. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started to associate with like known gang members, actual real gang members, because these dudes were straight up just using him, right? Mm. Like he wanted to get into the lifestyle and then um, you know, hung out in certain places and then suddenly met some gangsters and then they see him driving. He was driving like a new Land Rover that was all pimped out. Um, and then he started rolling with dudes who had guns with them and stuff like that. Yeah, he got some street crap. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they got you know him buying them in and out or whatever they got. I don't know what they got from it, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, I have a lot of experience with with those types of dudes. <laughs> yeah, I so, got you. I, I got you with that one. Yes, yes.
0: I'd expect that is so random, but because I've seen people like that. There's a guy from where I went to high school and his name was Joe and I'll just leave his, you know, just go first name. I'm, I don't want to, because yeah. actually um, he actually was murdered. He actually ended up getting murdered, but <clears throat> two points. Is that, sorry, man, you may, you may, you may choke yeah, on my I own know. saliva, but um, one, I've learned from being around gangs is that you're a wannabe until you become one. Like you, you, it's, it's not that far. You're no. mimicking it. And then, the crossover is pretty easy if you can get accepted or do whatever it takes, you know, yeah. to get
1: in. But my point is that Tupac, great example. Oh yeah, oh, Kid yeah. went to art school, was like a backup dancer for Digital Underground. And I went. That's the first. Sorry, go ahead. Then kicks it with Eight Trays, and suddenly starts getting shot at and and all that, and you know.
0: Yeah, actually, my first concert I went to was Digital Underground, and he was a backup dancer. Yeah, that's why that and it was such a small venue. It was Queen Latifah and Digital Underground. And there was some opening act. They probably they didn't end up being anything becoming big. So I don't remember who they were. But we were able to meet them afterwards. And he oh, was yeah. he wasn't thug at all. You know, he was a dancer. But <clears throat> going back, <clears throat> um, this guy Joe who I knew kind of adjacent. Well, I mean, I'd speak to him sometimes. We actually went to the same high school together. But uh, he was kind of like Sean. What's his name? Stewart. Sean Stewart. Yeah. Sean Stewart. Where that he came from money. And I remember everyone thinking, like, you come from money, dude. What are you doing out on the streets? Why do you want to you're you hustling backwards? You're going yep. us on the streets, we don't want we don't we want what you have. But it goes back to what you're saying on the hierarchy of needs. Just because you have that doesn't mean you have a high self-worth or you have um Love.
1: Love. Yeah. 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 Oh no, I'm <laughs> I am sure. And by the way, you know, I got jokes on Sean because it's he's an easy target. But um the bigger issue for him is yeah what was going on in his life and i don't know him well enough um but what was going on in his life that kind of led him to feel like th- that that type of chaos that gang life uh, creates and even wannabe gang chaos creates that is more comfortable to him than just kicking it at the country club and eating club sandwiches and you know yeah ha- hanging out with girls named Miffy or something so Right. There's, there's some disconnect. And so we look at, yeah, you have money, you have whatever it is, and that's going to suddenly fill that void in your life. And it's not. yeah, And so it's good to be grateful, right? Gratitude and attitude of gratitude is fantastic. I am grateful that I was born where I was born in the era that I was born in. And all these, you know, medically speaking, I probably would have died if I lived in the 1800s, and they just put leeches on you and amputated stuff, right? I'm, yeah. <laughs> but um, and I'm thankful, but that isn't going to take me to happiness. It's it's the base of happiness. Yes. I need it for. It's an ingredient, but it's not the entire thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And bringing a full circle, the, the 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 finish off the thought that I was saying was um kind of formulating was that suicide, um. Besides not doing it, I want to get that out there. I'm not condoning it in any way, form whatsoever. I think it's um, it's not good spiritually, and um, but the other thing about it is that I want to point out that, and I've been I'm guilty of this myself. Is I think it's important that people need to be take take some form of responsibility, even if you didn't ask for it, for the mental health of your of those that are close to you. You have to be careful of what you say to them, you know, like in a fit of anger or in whatever it is. I think it's very important because, you know, that old saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names never, never hurt. I think words, I would have rather taken a, a baseball bat to the ribs than those words. Words are absolutely destructive. And I think that um, it's very important that we you know, if you got people that you love in your life, but you treat them bad or say things to them, or someone that you used to love, like say in a relationship and you're exiting that relationship, don't kick them when they're down. Don't do scorch earth. You know, what's that called? Scorch earth? Yeah. Uh, where you're just like, ah, screw you. And I, I'm going to be honest, I was a guilty of that. I've actually, there was a woman that um, I dated when I was in high school and I was so damn mean to her. And the problem was, it wasn't her, it was me. I was damaged. I was out of my damn mind. And um, I did probably everything mean to her you can think of. No, I never hit her, but n- nothing violent, but just, you know, psychologically mean as a, a high school kid could do. I remember I was in my mid thirties and I apologized to her through via Facebook. And she like wrote me back and goes, thank you. That means a lot to me. Like, I've always wondered, like, did you even have a heart? And I was like, oh, man, because I know that I just and I've even done it past that as an adult. So I'm just saying. It's it's a it's a pledge that I've made with myself, especially since going to the down the, the 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 hell hole that I went down through. It made me it was humbling, but it made me realize that it's very you got we have to be very careful with how we treat other people, even if they've wronged us. If someone you know has done something that that's, that is that you know we just that makes us very upset, just be mindful because sometimes those people it's them. There's something wrong with them, and we shouldn't just verbally just you know, beat the crap out of them because you never know what they bring. I mean, what what's luggage is in the back of their mind, and like I've learned, they a psychological decline can happen rapidly. It's not over a year. Mine didn't happen over months. It was literally over
1: days. So yeah, we see we see a lot of that. By the way, the the if um, sticks and stones can hurt my bones, words will never hurt me. The inverse of that would be the idea that the only thing that could help me would be something physical like receiving a gift. And we see that's not true. In fact, um, the most fulfilling parts of our life is when we hear words of affirmation from people. Yeah. You know, I love you. Uh, you know, I care for you. Thank you so much. I had actually before I, I got here, I was texting um, with somebody and they, they were mentioning how I was a, a big mentor to them in their career you know, and those types of, and they've been appreciative of it. Um, those types of words are really m- more of the things that drive happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from Especially from people who you really, really
0: value. You know, like um, my sister and I, we kind of, we have a very close relationship. But like, she's the closest person I am to than anyone in the world. But we kind of grew up disfunc- in a dysfunctional environment. So we don't, we rarely say I love you to each other. But we know that we love each other so it's one of those but if she gives me a compliment which she she actually does like she's honest I mean besides the I love you the mushy stuff we kind of avoid that it seems weird but um, we're working on it but <laughs> but like she'll go hey do you know what you're, you're pretty smart and I want your opinion on something or just anything it just makes me I feel like a little kid where the teacher goes hey good job I'm gonna put a star next to your name on the board right. and I'm just like I'm riding high man I'm riding high off of that.
1: Yeah well, it's the same in management oh. is that um, when we look at, at studies of managing people, just giving them money has a very little effect. Like uh, spot bonuses with people have very little effect on how they feel about their bosses and how they feel about their job. Whereas words of great job, you're a valued member here. Um, I know there's lots of memes about pizza parties at jobs and stuff, like making fun yeah. of them that bosses use those. And I'm not advocating for pizza parties here. But um, is, is having meaningful conversations with people about the, the value they have at the company and that you value their opinion on matters is way more powerful for the morale and how they feel about their job than uh, spot bonuses and um, payment structures.
0: Yeah, that, compl- that makes sense. For some reason, you reminded me, though. I have a friend of mine. Um, he owns a construction company. And once a year, he does this giant carnival for his first staff. I don't know how many employees he has. I, it's in. I'm thinking it's in the hundreds, and um, uh, it. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm worried about mentioning it because, well, he publicly posted about it, so it's it's, okay. it's fair game, right? So it's this construction construction company called Legacy Builders, right? And this dude throws a freaking uh, uh like imagine a festival that you would pay to go to. He throws it for his employees for free. There's horses, real horses to ride right there. Yeah. Ferris wheel, hot dog stands, car- every booth is free. Everything's free. Then you go look up at the stage area, dude. It looks like let's make a deal. There's all like 20 freaking 80-inch flat screens. This year, there was, a, there was a real car, a car, dude. Wow. Yeah, just giving away. And he's like telling people, it's because of you. Like he's letting them know. This business doesn't exist without you and he's letting everyone know this like here he could actually have taken that and like bought a yacht you know flossed in a in a Ferrari he literally gave it all back and I was just like, crap man. I mean this guy's so much like that all the time 24/7. sometimes I get used to it, but when I saw that, I was like, holy smug man like but that's that's the right approach. you let people know that he didn't even just give him gifts. He, he's on the mic you. You mean a lot to me, <laughs> like yeah. he's like you know doing that, and he has very very loyal employees. You oh know? yeah,
1: that that is how you build your team.
0: Yeah, and they kill it. If he asks them to work overtime, there's no questions asked because he knows he wouldn't do it just to be a dick. Right. He's like, hey, we really need this for the company, and you know people volunteer. And he doesn't
1: objectify people like you're. Um, I can buy your time, like if I just pay you enough. Yeah, I own you. You know yeah. one of those. Oh, yeah, I've had I've had one of those bosses before. <laughs> I don't want them to sue me because they're also an attorney. Oh, yeah. in yeah.
0: California. It's... But I have a question. So speaking of traumas and suicide, how does – does traumas play a role? One thing I've always – that I've struggled with as an adult, and it I'm actually um, better at it now, especially since my um, – we'll call it the, the, the going to the dark side. Since I went to the dark side, um, it's like that kind of like cleansed me, kind of gave me a hard reset, but I kind of struggled with like – kind of like hedonistic uh, um, desires. Yeah. And does trauma play a role in that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, A lot of things play a role in hedonism. We have societal factors. You're going to have your individual psychological factors, how your brain is wired for rewards, Um, and then, yeah, that trauma portion. So there's some – and I wouldn't do the the science justice, but – you know, there's a reason that people eat a lot, right? Eating is hedonism, you know. um, Who am I to talk, by the way? Hold on a second. So hedonism isn't just sex? No. So hedonism is a philosophy, and um, the philosophy's kind of been changed over the years, but it's the idea at its core is that the more pleasure you have, the more happiness you'll have. So if I can increase my pleasure in life, I'll increase my happiness, um, you know, and we look back at the vomitoriums of uh, ancient Greece and Rome. Uh, these were places where people stuffed themselves full of food and then would vomit so they could stuff themselves full of food again, right? The ultimate in um, gorging hedonistic tendencies. That's where this this idea comes from. There were also orgies that were going on back then, right? And that was, a, okay, well, if, if sex is good, more sex is better, if sex with one partner is good, sex with many partners is better. You know, if eating one hamburger is good, eating five hamburger I don't think they had hamburgers back then yet, but whatever they ate, I can't even imagine they had good food back then, but whatever they ate, they, they ate a lot of it. And so that now what it carries on in life, what it looks like is, yeah, is um, trying to avoid pain and trying to have as much pleasure in our lives. And, you know, it falls completely flat, that entire – Interestingly enough, so I I talk about hedonism a lot. Interestingly enough, the guy I use as an example, Dan Bilzerian. Um, if you guys know who he is, he's this Instagram influencer, gambling millionaire. I think his father was a, a millionaire as well, and he goes on Instagram, always has pictures with models on boats, and and you know is living that lifestyle. I. It's so funny because I always use him as the the ultimate example of hedonism. He's always with um, a lot of these young women are ladies of the night, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sex workers is is you know the, the term, but um, and you know so he has them on yachts and that's what his life is like. He even did an interview where he says, "I don't think I can get happy anymore. Nothing really excites me." So, hedonism falls flat. There's a couple reasons. Uh, if you, I don't know if you want me to go too deep into that's, it.
0: Let's man, let's go. I
1: need to listen. Yeah. Okay, yes, so you, you, so let's go to this idea. Okay, so if more pleasure equals happiness, then we should see first of all that rich people who can Im- increase their pleasurable experiences in life are the happiest people on earth, but they are not. In fact, there are certain mental illnesses that impact them that do not impact other classes. Eating disorders first came up in upper middle class to, uh, upper class families, right? That doesn't exist, and it, it now does, but when it first came out, it was an affliction of generally like white, upper-middle-class women. Okay. Um, but, you know, so we're not seeing that rich people are very happy. That's not where happiness lies. So why, why is that? They're having so much pleasure. Why is it that um, a male porn star isn't the happiest man on earth, right? He's having the most sex, and he's getting paid to do it. Good question. Yeah, actually, they are. So let's just end it right here. (laughs) Everyone, go be a MailPort star. Yeah, we take back everything we just (laughs) said. So, there's a couple reasons. There's uh, three main reasons. Um, So, the first one I want to get into is the idea of diminishing returns. It's a law that we see in business um, and it actually comes out of business. It's it's the idea of if you add more labor, at what point does input go up or output go up? Sorry. Add more input, does output go up? But is there a certain point where output actually starts to – the amount of output per person you put in goes down to the point where it actually starts to hurt, right? If I had two people cleaning your house, it may be better than one, right? Mm -hmm. Three people might be better than two. But if I put 40 people in your house to clean, they might get in each other's way. There might be processes where there's a downtime for some of them. Anyway, so diminishing returns came from that, but it's. I'll make it simpler. We're going to talk about Oreos, which is a, a food of mine that I can't put down, right? Once Dude, I, Oreos, that's crack. That's ch- that's crack for kids. It's vegan crack. I know. Dude, I could eat
0: rose. I could eat yeah. rose as a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As, too, as, an adult, as an adult, sorry, too. as an adult, yeah, too.
1: Yeah, as an adult, uh, three days ago, I could. So with that, um, if you were really hungry, and I put a package of Oreos in front of you. Just a little bit away. No, a little bit away. A little bit away. Yeah. No, no, just here. Go ahead. I got it. Yeah. I got you. Like that. And I gave you a package of Oreos, right? Uh-huh. Um, you're starving. So I give you one and you eat the first one. I say, okay, on a scale of one to ten, how good is that Oreo? You're gonna go, it was a nine, nine point two. Let's eat the next one. Maybe it's still a nine two. Okay. Maybe <laughs> it's maybe it's a nine one. Yeah. Next one, eight, nine, right, and and you know, I, I I don't know if it's a straight line depreciation, but it's going to start going down, yeah, because you've had enough you've had you know the initial impact of the Oreo, which the first one was amazing. Now you're chasing that dragon, and it's actually going down. It's going down.
0: I've chased the Oreo dragon many yeah. times. Oh,
1: it's a dangerous dragon. Um, don't get me started on six hundred pound life because I I can I can talk about that in here in this conversation, but. So we have the Oreo, our Oreo meter is going down. There's actually going to be a moment where it no longer brings you any pleasure to have the next Oreo. And very quickly after that, it's going to cause you pain, whether Mm -hmm. it be, oh, I have a stomach ache, toothache, nausea, you know, I'm feeling tired, feeling full, uh, and all of that. So. When we start to take pleasure over and over and over again in through some of these more carnal desires like food and sex, there's we see that there's a diminishing return from each thing that we get and that eventually it causes us pain. It, it's very every you know, I ran drug treatment centers for a, a long time, ago. still do. Um, but, um, you know, this idea is that, uh, the everyone's chasing the first high they got maybe second high some people got sick their first high but everyone's chasing that first time they got high usually it was around um, high school or so and they had a really good time doing it and then if they kept using and into maybe those um, transitional age years at 18 to 20 it was okay and then it started to cause them problems and then you know they actually don't enjoy it they're just trying to quit and they can't yeah. So with with any pleasure we see that, right? You get a new video game, you play it, at first it's awesome and you keep playing and keep playing it, you're getting less and less pleasure from it.
0: So would, would that even apply to say like as of late I've been evaluating even the relationships I've been in with women, for example. If if there's an initial physical attraction and you're just that's all you're really focused on, is that a diminished return? Like, well is that does that still apply? Will that get well because in my case it is. It okay. gets old. Do you and, and I'm like, I spent all this time with you and you're 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 not that bright. We don't have anything in common. Is that normal?
1: Well well, um, do you use bad language on this show? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Show me the hottest girl in the world. I'll show you a dude sick of fucking her. You ever heard that one?
0: Yeah. Well, I've been I mean I'm not not trying to brag, but yeah, yeah I've been there.
1: Yeah. So Um, it's absolutely normal. So if we want to watch, what's wrong with if we want to watch? Yeah, I I mean, otherwise, let's look at the pornography business. If if that didn't happen, there'd be a very small pornography business. A guy would buy one (laughs) pornography video and he would use it for the rest of his life. (laughs) But when he gets tired of it, um, due to I'm going
0: to a redhead now.
1: Yes, and, and that's why. With it, like pornography addiction is a great example of hedonism. Is we see exposure problems, meaning they've been exposed to so much of it that they now have difficulty taking joy from it. So they have to get more and more. It has to get weirder and weirder. And we actually see a- have you
0: been looking through my searches?
1: I have. Okay. All right. All right. You <laughs> need to get one of those life alert bands that says erase my uh, internet history if I die. Yes, I do. Yeah, but the, the I mean the, the porn industry is a great study in um, hedonism and exposure because when it first when the pornography industry first started, you know we're looking at Hugh Hefner and he had like pictures of topless women, one picture yeah. in a magazine and it was like wow and Whoa. guys were like wow this is really this yeah. is doing it for me, and then we got to you know films. And then we got to video. Video was a big one. But then once the internet hit, and then handheld devices, I mean, you know, we're seeing a proliferation. And 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 with OnlyFans now, you have um, not not only porn on demand, the type of porn you want on demand, right? So you can pay for a specific whatever your kink is. You can pay for that. It's
0: like DoorDash of porn.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It's like um the A AI art makers where you like just tell the the AI, I want to see a sunset with a bird flying. And it just makes it for you. Um, but we see that. And the reason that is, is because they no longer get the same joy from their first hit. The first time they saw a Playboy in it, and it gave them a, a physiological reaction, that's gone away, right? Now, if they see Playboy, they're like, dude, that's like, that's nothing, right? I need to see Two midgets, a giraffe, you know, in a... In a cup. Yes. Two, yes, two <laughs> midgets, giraffe, and a cup. Those poor girls couldn't afford two cups. So um, with with that, yeah, what you're explaining is I was with a beautiful woman, and she no longer, you know, appeared beautiful. That happened. That's exposure. So how do we see love grow? Well, if we're using the hedonistic idea of making love grow through just somebody being good-looking, that's... We're going to have... That's going to go off a cliff. But if we see love grow through, we're helping each other. Um, this is my partner in life. They're my thought partner. They're my emotional partner. They've been there from. You know, when I look at all the things my wife has been through with me, you know, that makes me love her. You know, she's been with me through the, you know, loss of my mother, through our difficulties having children, through raising our children, through my daughter vomiting in her mouth all of of those things right so if we look at what what true love really is I mean that's that's where it's at it's not how um they look my wife is beautiful but um the you know just if I depended on her good looks to get me through my to this point it wouldn't it would have gone away and then I would have seen a new girl and gone oh that one's gonna take me away right yeah and, and take my feelings away so, you know, kind of long, long story short, the first reason hedonism fails is diminishing returns. Whether it's the beauty of a woman, every time you see her, the impact her beauty has on you decreases. Whether it's an Oreo that you eat, whether it's drugs you use, uh, any, you know, whether it's buying things, you know, the car collections are a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people begin to buy cars because buying a car gives you a, huge rush right and then you i need to get another one i need to get another one but you know you stop feeling good when you have an 85 car collection maybe they'll sit and collect dust because you don't even care anymore
0: yeah yeah there's actually some classic cars back here collecting dust i'll show you after. that's yeah
1: that's what i was referencing oh really okay
0: yeah yeah, yeah. You should check them out they're pretty slick but yes
1: it wouldn't happen to me though i'd never get tired of them <laughs> <laughs> get get me a hot girl i'd never get tired of her yeah no oh. Yeah, yeah. That's called know. terminal uniqueness. <laughs> terminal <laughs> uniqueness is the idea that um, I am so different that whatever happens to other people wouldn't actually happen to me. Like uh, lottery winners, right? If I won the lottery, they, they have, they're prone to depression, suicide, all kinds of things. And they, well, if I won the lottery, that wouldn't happen to me. I'm so different. I'm like, okay, everyone thinks they're different, but it's not necessarily true. Pretty much as humans, we're, we're very similar.
0: How how does, like, the the hedonistic, um,
1: hedonism and addiction, is that the same thing? Very much so. Very much so. Uh, Addiction is literally the attempt, when you talk to people, and what is at the core of addiction, I think it would be oversimplification to say it's one thing. But it definitely is, I want to feel better, I'm in pain. Whether the pain is now withdrawals, it's emotional pain from growing up or trauma or physical pain from being in an accident. Um, addiction is the idea that I want to get away from pain and get toward pleasure. Here's a quick fix to do that. However, again, you know, the heroin stops making you happy. The donuts stop making you happy, all those sorts of things. Um, so which, you know, it's funny. I mentioned Oreos, but, um, we were talking about the reasons hedonism falls flat, right? Yeah. This the second reason um, has to do with how fleeting happiness and pleasure can be. So, what's the best meal that you've ever eaten in your life? And if you can't narrow it down to one, maybe think of you know a top a top ten meal. You can tell me about that you had a great experience. You had probably it's
0: actually uh, margarita pizza. But I used to live in Italy. They're there, but there's a place. This is not a paid ad. Tony's Pizza Napolitano in San Francisco, they can make it exactly like they do in Naples, Italy. And they're the only pizza place outside of the country of Italy certified as authentic Italian pizza. The guys won the world championship of pizza making multiple times. So
1: that pizza there, it's, it's the best. When you crossed over to the dark side, yeah did the fact that you've had that pizza two years ago one year ago whenever did that even cross your mind like man i'm depressed but i do remember i had that piece of pizza and that really brought me a lot of happiness back then no
0: no not at all that that was i've only thought about it because you asked me Yeah. yeah
1: right and so What we see is that once whatever that act is that gave us pleasure, Mm -hmm. once it's done, the impact it has on us also diminishes very quickly, right? I ate the meal, uh, you know, as I'm taking each bite, it's great, and I'm sitting there and I'm enjoying digesting it, maybe, and if I if I ate too much, maybe not, but um, and then maybe you know as I go to sleep and then I wake up and I can, you know, have some leftovers and whatever. As all of that happens. Um, We get further and further away from the moment, and it gives us less and less pleasure. So that whole mechanism of, well, this pleasure is going to bring me happiness, you would have to have pleasure every second of your life for you to have happiness. Otherwise, once it's done, it loses its power. And as we know, pleasure is also fleeting. So there's going to be an upward mark that you hit that you can't pass anymore, okay, I've had, you know, orgy with a hundred women. Now I need to have an orgy with a hundred and one. I mean, you know. They, have you gonna... been looking through my, hu- my window, my <laughs> yes. house? Okay. Yeah, 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 I know. And I don't <laughs> know how you fit all. It's like a clown car in there. It all those is. Girls it in. is
0: literally. Yeah, it's a clown car. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: so you know, we we look at this idea of, okay, I, you know, these experiences are what are going to bring me happiness. And I go, no, those experiences definitely bring you joy in that moment, but they're not going to bring you long-term happiness because once they're done, they really have a low, low level of impact. The best meal I had, I got a hot hand in a game of dice. I was in Vegas playing craps and um, won a bunch of money. And so I said to my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, uh, let's let's, uh, let's spend this money. So we went to uh, Nobu there and had the, the highest tier tasters menu, you know, where they bring out all the exotic stuff and all that. Now... You know, when I was having difficulties in my life, when my, you know, when my mom passed, uh, did I wake up at any time and go, you know, it, it really sucks. I love my mom. I miss her terribly. You know, it takes the edge off is I did have, you know, a, a crunchy rap role at Nobu in 2011.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, well, how, how, does he, how does hedonism or addiction, I know how it works with drugs. There's a chemical reaction. But let's say a behavior, behavior hedonism, or both, either one, how does it get such deep roots into someone, like a grip like that?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Um, Society is a huge reason. All day we're advertised to, and and you can't say that doesn't have an impact on you. We're advertised that if you do this thing, if you go on this vacation, by the way, advertising doesn't stop at paid advertisements, it also people's instagrams and whatever is they're they're advertising right by showing their lifestyle and acting happy all of those things lead us to the belief that pleasure is is happiness it's hard to separate ourselves from that because when we look at it our brains are hardwired for that right we're 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 hardwired to eat good food right fatty food tastes better than celery Mm -hmm. um we're hardwired to have sex with many partner men are with many partners because we need to s- spread our seed to get our DNA out there in the world, and so it's it, how does it get a hold and why does it keep hold Socio- sociologically and physiologically? We have pressures, um, and we also consistently tell ourselves that it's going to be the next thing. So that's like the kind of the third one, the hedonic treadmill. Um, but before I get to that, and, and that question is a good question, I want to go over the third reason it fails, and then it'll lead into that. So this is a thought experiment I always tell people when, when discussing hedonism. So I want you to imagine it's very much a room like this, right, um, where you, know, you don't have, say, windows, um, except let's take away the door. There's no door here. And yeah. I could drop you in here. And instead of this being a table, let's say it's a piano keyboard. And each note on the keyboard you hit will then, through a wire that goes to your brain, will then st- stimulate and simulate the feeling of a great event, a, a hedonistic pleasure. So let's say I, I push this button and it makes me believe that I'm going, you know, I'm eating the best meal I've ever had. I'm back at Nobu eating, you know, my crunchy roll. That's not what I ordered, but sure, boom. And then I hit this button, it's like the best sex I ever had. And I I hit this button and it's like the best drunk feeling I've ever had. This is the feeling of the best sleep I've ever had. And all of those very visceral feelings, right? So you could be in that room, right, with this keyboard for the rest of your life. But the caveat is you could never leave. So this is a thought experiment. Would you stay in the room with this keyboard that you can control your feelings but you could never leave.
0: Wait, what? As opposed to what? I have an option to. I
1: have a, you, you know, you, no keyboard. You'll never get the keyboard. You won't get the. Oh, so ever. either way, I'm going to be in this room. No, no, you won't be in this room. You could leave the room. But if I use the keyboard, I got to stay. If you I use the stay, keyboard, you could never leave this room again.
0: I'm leaving the room. Why? I'm an extrovert. I miss my family. I would. I would miss people.
1: Yes. So the social aspect of life. Is also a reason that hedonism falls flat. That is the answer that most people give. Is if you get a couple of people who will say, "Yeah, I'd like to stay in that room," but I've done this with thousands of people. This thought experiment, and you know, you'll have people say, "I, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to be there for my parents. I want to see my partner. I want to be with my my siblings. I want you know, I have my friends." And there's no amount of feelings that would make me that could stimulate me to the point of forgetting that. So hedonism is also a very selfish endeavor, and that's also why it why it fails because it it humans are social creatures. We're not like um, lion. No, well, lions are in prides, but there's certain cats that just once they're born after they're a little bit old enough, they just go patrol their own area. Like a tiger. Yeah, and they never hang out with you know you know you don't see them kicking it with other tiger yeah. tigers or and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, is they just have their area and they're meant to be alone we aren't not like that we're community creatures and hedonism the pursuit of pleasure ends up being an asocial activity and the example i will give is drug use at first drug use starts out as social right so i, I always use the heroin user because that is kind of the pinnacle of drug use meaning not the, the what you should aspire to but it's where like the <laughs> absolute you know kind of worst place you can get yeah well, well
0: meth is kind of catching up with it yes yeah yeah
1: so uh, yeah, uh, it's just not in in fashion as much on the East Coast. But heroin has is West Coast and East Coast. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know they still have crack on the East Coast. So they come out here for drug treatment. And they're like, you guys are doing meth yeah. out here, and, and they're like, we just do crack over here. It's a whole there's a whole funny thing. The, oh yeah, on the East Coast, It's like we we get the powdered white. You guys get this crappy tar stuff from Mexico. I'm I'm not. I don't want to use your heroin here, but um so. <laughs> So, with that, bougie, hair, yeah. bougie, man. Oh, I get lots of, uh, I would get lots of dietary requests too. Like, they shoot, some people will shoot up with their own um, urine or toilet water because they have no water, uh, no liquid to, you know, uh, cook with. But then, when I, if I try and give them like French fries, they go, I don't eat fried food. Um, but <laughs> is this kosher? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's cruelty free. But, um, what happens with them? They start using, right? Usually they start with oxies. No, no. I mean, occasionally you'll get somebody who starts IV using, but they start with oxies. Someone's grandma died and they snatched all the pills or their parents have a pain problem, whatever. And they're doing it at parties with people. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it graduates. Like they meet somebody who teaches them how to, how to IV use.
0: So, so they just hit that key on the piano.
1: Yep. Okay. And now, they, but they, and by the way, that key, those oxies, they're taking one, then they're taking two, then they're taking three because... Again, they're getting diminishing returns. Got it. Right. And them getting high three days ago doesn't make them feel better today. Right. So the fleeting, the fleeting effect. You're only happy when you're high. After you're high, you don't get to look back at your high and go, I got high. Yeah. Yeah. So they then graduate on to to IV usage. And once they move into IV usage, usually they lose their jobs, they lose school, they lose their their sober friends. People, you know, sober people don't like to be around people who are IV drug using and they end up in hotel rooms alone in a tent homeless it ends up being very asocial because they are so focused on how am I going to get my drug that they don't have the ability to socialize with other people
0: do you know what's interesting that also um it appears to be very similar to like my 600-pound life. As they go out of control with the eating, they can't go out and socialize anymore. It's usually them and maybe a caregiver who should be arrested for- It's always a caregiver. Yeah, to overfeed them.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, um, there's two parts to that, which when you talk about trauma um, is with the caregiver themselves has a vested interest in the person staying big. Because they are terrified that if this person gets skinny, they will leave them. Mm. Um, so that's why when you watch- I've s- seen that in relationships. I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah.
0: I've seen people intentionally try to get their uh, significant other overweight or maintain them unhealthy, which doesn't make sense.
1: Right. Okay, now it does. Right, you would see- On. Uh, I remember watching an episode and a guy snuck like candy bars into his- his wife or girlfriend, when she was in the hospital after her uh, surgery, and they were doing that 600-calorie 600 600 calorie diet, right, 600, something like that, um, and they were sneaking candy bars, and they're going, the doctor comes in and goes, how are you gaining weight in here? You had the surgery, and you're having 600 calories, and then, the, you know, the partner's like, oh, I was bringing her donuts, or I was bringing her candy bars, and you go, what is this guy doing? And he, and the reality is, is he's afraid she's going to leave. She's going to get skinny. Other guys are going to look at her. It's, it's called mate mate guarding is a term, Right. And so, maybe st- that's the move. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then they can't leave their room, so that's part of it. And then with the people who get big, who get to six hundred pounds, they've lost a lot of. Their, I mean, they're hedonistic and eating the, whatever it is that gets them there. But they've lost a lot of the joy that comes from it. In fact, they get you know end up in their room, and they're doing it sometimes as a protectionary measure. If I get big enough, nobody will get close to me. And if nobody gets close to me, nobody can hurt me. So they call that an insulation theory. I'm literally insulating myself from other people getting close to me. Um, I make myself so unappealing. And we see this with victims of sexual abuse. So, uh, you know, in working with children, um, sometimes I would get a, a parent who'd come in and they'd go, yeah, you know, my kid's nine and they just started wetting the bed again. And it was so weird. And I knew what was going on in my head immediately. Uh, well, let's just say this. I had to send them to the doctor first. I want to make sure sometimes there's some muscular development issues that lead to, to uh, bedwetting and, and um, not being able to control your bladder. So infection and the like. So we've got to rule that out. Once they come back and they say, yeah, the doctor looked, uh, did a whole thing. No, no UTI. They said everything looks good. And then the next question I'd have for them is, who just moved into your house? Oh, um, actually, my cousin just came, and he's been staying with us for the last two months. So then I'll meet with the kid. Uh, Sometimes you have to develop rapport, tell me about the cousin. They kind of go silent. And then I know, okay, the cousin is doing something to this kid, and the kid is wetting the bed, maybe out of fear or out of trying to become a... a okay. bad target. I want to make insulate myself. If I wet myself, maybe this person won't touch me.
0: That's sad, man. Right.
1: So that is, you know, with my six hundred pound life, and with, um, you know, these kids who who end up, they they stop taking care of themselves. Like we'll see a in what we call daily living skills, they'll start see we'll see them come off a cliff. Their hair's disheveled. They smell. They're putting on clothes that you know don't match and too much clothing, uh, in the heat. And we go, okay, well, they're trying to insulate themselves. Um, Yeah, it it is sad. It's very sad. And we always have to, you know, if we're going to talk about child advocacy, we always have to be careful about who we let take care of our our kids. Um, We, in the 80s, were always taught that, like, uh, molestation, rape, those things happen. Strangers jump out of bushes. Guys with candy. uh, Yep, candy vans are coming around. And it's, no, statistically, no not how it works it's the it, one that's close to you yep it's the one who has access to you yeah yeah, yeah. that's and it's the one you can manipulate
0: yeah actually i was it's interesting you bring this up i was at the um driving in from la yesterday and i i stopped by uh gb irvine and i was sitting on the bench just talked to some guys they were rolling being you, know, you know some guys like i need a break in between rounds so i'm sitting here talking weak yeah we, well i wasn't rolling i, I was just passing through <laughs> yeah And they were like, "So I'm not weak, by the way." Yeah, yeah, point that out. No, no, not me. No, No. you
1: just came from a cold plunge.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I got issues with cold (laughs) plunge. I have a friend that sends me video of of him cold plunging (laughs) and telling me, "Get some." You didn't know, but I was like, "Dude, all right, I'm gonna, gonna, I'll get there." So you're sitting there at at GB. (laughs) Oh yeah, so I'm sitting there at GB, and uh, um, we actually were talking about uh, dating and just how things go sideways or marriages and. You know, um, you know, by the time we get to our age, we've seen a lot of disasters and a lot of success stories, right? There's a yeah. little, little bit of everything. And um, one guy was like, there's this one guy sitting next to me. He's like, you know what the key to it is? Is you got to find a woman that's not damaged. And I was like, what woman, I, I know statistically a long time ago. And I don't even know if everyone was reporting, but it was like 25% of women were abused. Yeah. But it it definitely has to be higher than that. Like when I worked as a high school teacher, it was very common, not by the teachers, but something happened to that kid at home. And I told him, I was like, I don't know, dude. I would say it's a pretty high percentage. I think the task in that, the the hard part of that would be finding someone who hasn't been damaged or abused, right?
1: Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, if we look at, I don't, I'm not trying to objectify women here, but if we looked at them like a using our car thing, because cars are on my mind, can you find a car with 200,000 miles that hasn't been in an accident or had a part <laughs> break on it? No. Well, by the time you get to be 35 or 40, 45, uh, women, whether and it doesn't have to be sexual abuse, but you know they've probably had their their fair share of contact with terrible dudes out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and us being some of those terrible dudes at some stage in their life, maybe even, right? When we were in our teens or early 20s. 30s. So, uh, yeah, 30s, 40s, (laughs) last week. (laughs) So um, I think it's an unrealistic standard. It's not, can I find someone who's not damaged? It's, can I find somebody who is damaged, who's managed to deal with that damage in a healthy way and not let it impact their outlook on life, men, or whatever it may be that, you know, is drawing the the chasm or the rift between uh, you and them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, because I was thinking that's that's a that's a tall task to try to figure out, like find someone who's not damaged. You know, yeah. um, but what's interesting is that you know, I I've been through therapy to a good portion of my life, adult life, and then I've I've returned back to the uh, to the well, <laughs> to, Yeah, and one thing I've I've know um, from that is once you start learning about mental health or traumas and all the things that you're discussing, you can actually identify it in people sometimes when you're talking to them. You know what I'm saying? Like you could, it's not that you're a mind reader, but there's just certain things that kind of come off across in their behavior or things that they apologize for, you know? And um, I just find that very interesting. And I and one thing I find intriguing is that people, I, I find it intriguing that people of let's say, over 35. 30, let's say 35 and up, a lot of them, they know that they have traumas or damage and they don't want to get help because they're scared to face it, you know, which is, which is, if you think about it, that's crazy. Or they don't believe anyone can help. Or not believe anyone can help. So, and I think there's a lot of people like that, you know?
1: Yeah, a good proportion of people in the world and now are walking around with, with some sort of damage that's been done to them that's impacted their outlook. And, uh, you know, present company included in that, right? Every, yeah. Just because I sit on one side of the the, uh, the room during therapy doesn't mean I haven't sat on the couch or had bad things happen to me,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I, I just find that intriguing because when we were younger, uh, this is just, um, I always pronounce this word wrong, anecdotal?
1: Anecdotal, yeah. Anecdotal, sure.
0: Anecdotal. You know, when we are in high school, I don't know if it's because we're naive and we can't identify what we are seeing in our friends or um, we're just good at hiding it. But it didn't seem like anybody – you had to have a real, real bad problem for it to stand out. You know? Like I couldn't even – some of my friends looking back, like he had to have been in special ed. Like, you know, nothing (laughs) against special ed. But you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, you're like – but when we're older, it's almost like they can't hide it anymore. It's like it's just – it's worn on their sleeves. They can't even hide it. Like they're, the triggers, the um, the whatever it is with them is just.
1: I got a vitriolic email from an employee today, right? I asked them to to do a task. They didn't like the idea that I was. By the way, I'm not asking. Um, I run the place. You do <laughs> yeah. it. But yeah. I asked to be nice. I'm asking to do a task. They didn't like the task. And they, you know, just go off on this tangent and 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 personal insults against me and i look at that and obviously my first gut reaction is f you right who do you think you're talking to but that's not
0: do you know who i am
1: yeah do you know who i am like i could get armbar you so quick you don't even know jujitsu well you know eddie bravo yeah well um (laughs) (laughs) do you know sean stewart um so (laughs) the the uh that was my first reaction then my next reaction to it was like what is, what's happened here to this person that their fight or flight. And so they go into fight mode. Their fight gets triggered by something as simple as asking you to do something that's part of your job description that you have time for in your schedule. And that turns into ah, like, you've had either a series of bad managers that you could never trust. You've had a series of bad parents, series of bad partners, You know, I mean, it's highly speculatory on my end, but just that your fight or flight hypervigilance is that strong, that tells me something.
0: Yeah, and you're risking your livelihood off an email request. Yeah,
1: in writing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah there's a uh, there's a term career suicide via management <laughs> you know how there's like suicide by cop yeah. yeah career suicide via management where people get so fed up they do something to put the manager in a corner where the manager has to go i have to fire you right i'm not saying in this case yeah yeah but yeah. um i've seen i've had a lot of employees do that whether it's it's career management or career
0: suicide by management. that makes sense i mean i i get that now i as a as a small business owner i've, I've owned businesses where you know I've, I think the most employees I've had were like 16 at a time regularly during the holiday season. It got up to like almost 30. And, but off the regular 16 crew, I remember thinking, like, what? Because I I didn't know this death by, was it called? Yeah, career suicide suicide via management. Via management. Yeah, I didn't know that. But now looking back, I'm like, that's what that was. Because you're thinking, I was thinking, like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why are you. You never behaved this way before. Now you have all these
1: issues. You're angry. You're re- you know, like, you're doing all this stuff. And uh, okay, I fired on the way out. So, you know, nothing to brag about. And I actually smiled a little bit when I said it. So I need to like oh, watch myself. Um, <laughs> I have fired hundreds of people, unfortunately. Uh, there's a difference between firing and laying off, right? Firing is you did something as the employee that I can no longer uh, manage either through disciplinary action a discussion whatever you're too dangerous to have here um laying off is that's not your fault we mismanage the company layoffs are management's fault yeah um and so i fired and people go oh man like especially new managers i was having a discussion with a manager yesterday um and she has about 60 people under her purview and i was talking about a firing issue and she's like well i've only fired one person and you know it makes me nervous and i go why not and i didn't do it to be provocative but I explained to her. I said, "You know, the act. There's two reasons you fire someone. Um, one is they really want to do the job. Like I really want to be a, a car detailer, but they just don't have the skills. Yeah. They have a. They have that I really want to do great, and they they get out there early and they do it, but they just suck. Yeah. yeah, right. And then you have the people who have the skills and stop wanting to do it. Right. I my heart breaks for the people." who want it and don't have the skills, by the way, that's your fault for hiring that person. How did you not see that they didn't have the skills? But for most people, for 99% of the public, the reason I'm firing you is you have the skills to do it, you've stopped wanting to do it. Why have you stopped wanting you, Whatever it is, you've stopped taking enjoyment in the job. Maybe on my end, I have made, it's a toxic work environment, it could be my fault. Yeah. Right? yeah. However, you wanna go. So you're now, you've stopped doing your job or you've become, uh, insubordinate or you've whatever it may be negligent um and you want to part ways you just don't have the courage and so i'm going to you know kind of help you give out. you the opportunity here and i'm not an asshole and i never say I'm, this is a great opportunity for you I, I i always say like you know the your skills no longer meet the needs of this company and for that reason we're going to part ways so i don't get sued right yeah. um that's that's always how i i do it but <laughs> um but for those people, I look at it as I'm bridging a gap for you. So when I, I go, you know, this person could do their job and they're choosing not to for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, let's take people who got sick out of the mix because they then go into the I can't do it even though I want to do it. But yeah. the ones who just, you know, slacking off, showing up late, smoking weed in the bathroom, you don't want to be here, man. It's obvious. Yeah. So let's, let's just, you know, be adults about this. You head your way. I'll head my way. No hard feelings, man. Maybe in 10 years, you'll look back and go, ah, I should have liked that job. Or, you know, my boss was a jerk. Brent's an asshole. That's, that's fine. But mm-hmm. let's just part ways. I don't, it, it, and, and I don't need to look at it as a bad thing necessarily. It's going to be bad for them. I'm not an idiot, right? Like I've lost my job before. Um, it hurts in the opening. But then afterwards, you find another job or whatever, you move on in life. You reassess your life. How the,
0: Going back to hedonism, some reason that popped the back of my head, hedonism. If someone finds themselves in the depths of it, depths of addiction, how do you pull up and get out
1: of it? How do you? If I could solve this one problem, I would be a multi multimillionaire. <laughs> but I'll give you some tools. Yeah, what are some tools that people can do? Because um,
0: I know a lot of people that are addicted to all kinds of crap, man. And it doesn't even have to be hard drugs. I have a friend that's trying to quit
1: smoking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, smoking cessation is almost impossible. I mean, people who do it, I just applaud them. Quitting, sm- the easiest the easiest way to quit smoking is to never start. After that, man, it is rough. It, it alters your your cells. I mean, it, you know, the withdrawal. it ages syndrome. people too, right? Oh yeah the, uh, there's specific when you look at the way their skin hangs. Like I can look at older older women um, uh-huh. and men who've smoked, and their skin just kind of like hangs a, a little <laughs> different. No, it affects the elasticity of your skin as you age. Oh my goodness. Those chest lines, you know, women can get right in there as they mm-hmm. age. And, I think that's sexy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you better hang out at some uh, mm-hmm. some smoke shops. Yeah. <laughs> you need meet some women there yeah, buying cartons. Yeah, we can't
0: say bowling owls anymore out in California. Yeah. No one smokes anywhere.
1: You're right. Yeah, and bowling owls used to have the uh, thing. So how do I defeat hedonism? Well, you know. Or the initial steps. Right. Yeah. The first part about it is going to be seeing it for what it is. Um, I forgot to mention the hedonic treadmill. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's going to be a part of this too is, is stepping off the hedonic treadmill. That's going to be part of it. The hedonic treadmill is, is that I grab something, right? I go, man, if I just get that job, I'm going to be happy. You mm. get the job and for a little bit you're happy and then it goes down again and you're yeah. sad. I know I got the job, but now if I just buy that house, I'm going to be happy, get happy, it goes back down again. Man, if I just get that girl, if I just get that car, if I just take that vacation – and we keep going to the next the next thing, the next pleasure is what's going to bring us happy. We have to jump off of that. We have to find. So if we're going to stay with Maslow's hierarchy of needs today, we have to find self-actualization. What is it that I was meant to do on this earth? And that's different for everyone, right? Maybe for you, it could be this podcast is what you're meant to do on this earth, right? Um, for me, I've, I've tried a lot of things in my life, and um, I've realized kind of two things. One of the things that I'm, I'm meant to do on this earth is uh, jujitsu. So I teach it and and I train it. And it's it's a very integral part of my life. Um, The other thing is uh, management of mental health facilities. I find a great satisfaction in knowing that I'm helping a broad array of people, right? If you're one therapist, you help one person and the people who love them. If you oversee 50 therapists, 10 psychiatrists, you know, 10 nurses, uh, suddenly you have to look at your broad impact. And if I know I can manage people better than another manager, so that everyone there is seeing more people, is better, more effective at their job, wow, I'm really having a big impact. So you have to find whatever it is for you. And, and then you go after that thing. Now, that's dangerous too, because what if you say, my thing is eating sleeves of Oreos? <laughs> so, is it? A, so, what we want to look at is, not only is it what I've meant to do, but is it a skill that as I do it longer, I derive more enjoyment? So I like to use the the guitar as an example because it, almost everybody had a guitar phase in their life. Did you play the guitar ever? No comment.
0: Yep. I went through a few phases, got yep. rid of it, then went right back to it like a few years again. But I played musical instruments growing up, but that's no excuse, yes. I went through a guitar phase and fantasized about rocking out and impressing yeah. people.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So when you first picked up the guitar— you sucked, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not out of my mind, but reality, yeah. yes. We're not all Stevie Ray Vaughan. So we we pick up the guitar and we're like, can't make. We're, our fingers are in the wrong place on the fretboard. It's making you know twangy sounds. We don't even know what a chord is, and it's not really that fulfilling, you know. Maybe yeah. we we learn. Um, what's that Nirvana song? Dum 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 dun, dum dun, dum dun, dum dum dum. Come as you are. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Maybe we learn Come As You Are the first time. That's a good starter song, right? And and we put the guitar down. We go, man, that thing's frustrating. That thing kind of sucks. But I'll stick with it because at a party one day I'll learn how to play Wonderwall and I'll impress all the girls. So then we, um, we pick it up the next time and maybe we learned a, a better song and a more intricate song. And each time we pick it up, we're doing a more and more difficult thing with it but it ends up bringing us more joy. And by the time we can play a complex piece, uh, you know, within rock and roll, I don't know, if we can play like a Jimi Hendrix solo or something, then we get true and an enjoyment from it. And the enjoyment isn't just from doing it, but it's the self-esteem, right? We talked about self-esteem as part of the hierarchy, that from knowing that I've worked hard at something, I have been disciplined and and, and stayed with it. And it has made me good, and it brings me enjoyment. And, and you know, music brings other people enjoyment. So we have to find not only a thing where it's something we're meant to do. I could say I'm meant to eat donuts because I love to eat donuts. Uh, but dude, it's not a skill set, really. A baby can eat a donut.
0: I've gained, in college, I've gained 30 pounds in uh, between September and December one time. Just eating like a savage, dude. Yeah,
1: so, yeah. Wh- yeah. one of my <laughs> donuts are on my mind, my rece- uh in my reception area, we have some security guards and one of them has like a donut tattooed on them and always has donut day. So I'm like, uh, yesterday was donut day. And they're like, oh, do you want a cruller or whatever? So, um, so we got to find that thing. And it has to be difficult and it has to take discipline and it has to make us feel good about ourselves at the end. Eating donuts doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. Yeah. So that's one of the ways we stay out of it. But it's not the only way because we do see musicians – who are addicts, right? So they're, you know, Jimi Hendrix, the, the 27 Club or whatever, where the everyone dies in music. Who's oh, like yeah, 27. yeah. Um, so then, you know, that part is one part of it. The other part then, why do some people become rockers is hedonism. Um, so trying to avoid those activities that give us those short bursts of happiness uh, I, I teach a jujitsu class at 6:20 a.m. and it's not actually a class. I do a warm-up and then we just spar. Sparring's exhausting at 6:20 a.m. You know, it's really exhausting. Um, it's hard to get up at that time. Nobody ever leaves that class and regrets coming. That, yeah. You know, because it's hard work. Yeah. I tell you, plenty of people have regretted eating a big meal, which is very easy work watching pornography in fact it's such a joke uh by the way i treat sex addiction so i'll make jokes about pornography because you know the uh drug addiction and sex addiction go hand in hand often with any kind of stimulants especially um what is the first thing somebody does after they've they've completed the act of masturbating is they close the laptop or they shut it off because if they hear it they get grossed out, and they feel guilty, and they feel, gro- you know, just skeevy. I'll
0: um, take your word for it. I've never yeah, experienced it. No, no. I, I don't yeah. do things you like that. You have
1: zero refractory period. But, yeah. um, the the you know, that doesn't actually bring me pleasure when I finish it. After it's done, I have shame. Yeah. After I'm done with jiu-jitsu, I feel pride. I got through that. You know, there have been some days, especially in the summer, when the <laughs> air conditioning's broken, and I literally am in there, and in my mind I'm going, I'm going to fucking die here. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to fucking Well, why do I do this? Yeah. You ever ask yourself that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so then, um, but then I make it through. I don't die. And, uh, and I go, damn. Yeah, yeah, I made it through. I did that thing. And I got better. And I hit this move on this guy that was really hard. And I never could have imagined doing that. And it made me feel like I completed something, and it made me feel proud of something. So we've got to find those things. We've got to avoid the hedonistic. So when I was talking about waking up at 6.20, that's hard. You know what's easy? Staying up all night, playing video games, eating pizza, watching movies. That's easy. But at the end, when you wake up in the morning at 10 a.m., you don't feel good about yourself for having done it. But if you woke up in the morning at 6, I'm not— I'm assuming you didn't do all that stuff and you go train jujitsu in the morning or you go, whatever your thing is, you go on a hike, you go, afterward you go, I'm proud of myself. I'm glad I did that. That made, that contributed to me feeling not only good in the moment, but better about myself as a human being. And we have to fill our lives with more of those activities that are hard, that are also, we can increase our knowledge and our skill set in, and then make us feel proud of ourselves. Not these very short bursts of, you know, uh, dopamine Tom, hits. Yeah, or Tom and or Tom and Jerry's, Ben and Jerry's, or uh, whatever it may be. That's, that's an easy answer. How yeah. do I step away from addiction? There's much harder answers, which I'll go into yours, which is trauma, right? What am I running away from? How do I face it so that I don't feel I need to have pleasure? My silent times, when the TV's off, when the lights go out, when it's time for me to go to bed and all of my bad thoughts come in, I can face those bad thoughts rather than have to run away from them and turn the TV on, the fan on, play on my phone, all that, because traumas happen to me. I need to face some of that. So yeah. that's a big part of it. And there's the social aspect. There's uh, Everyone in addiction loves to talk about this documentary, Rat Park. And I go, well, that's oversimplification. But Rat Park is uh, you know, the study of rats and, and which ones oh, yeah. use drugs. And, and you know, the whole idea is that if you're social, you're not going to use drugs. But you know that kind of falls flat on its face when we look at again rock stars, highly social, hanging out, having social interactions with all types of people. Yet here or they just are.
0: Los Angeles entertainment industry. Yeah, yeah, they're very it's very social
1: environment. Right. and th- and I'm not saying social isn't an important part, but uh, so Rat Park is correct, but it but it, again it, oversimplification. Are we ascribing one answer as the answer? And it's probably a multitude of answers. And so that's why, you know, I'm giving you a couple of different answers because I don't want to oversimplify it. Anyone who oversimplifies addiction or happiness in life hasn't studied it enough.
0: But would you agree that it starts with, not to sound like, I've never been to a rehabilitation center or anything, but um, acknowledging to yourself that I have a problem? Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at like 12 step model, right? Yeah, but but is that a is that a universal truth? Like I need to look in the mirror, and go, do you know what? Like I'm uh, choking, I'm beating off too much or I'm eating, you know, I'm I'm necking a sleeve of Oreos. Yeah, you know, while watching uh Thirteen Reasons Why, like I'm just destroying myself. You have to acknowledge that first, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. You gotta acknowledge your, you've got to acknowledge it because you, you have to know that there's a problem to be able to solve a problem. If you don't yeah. see it as a problem, then how do you know? Um, to solve it. And so, yeah, and we have to take a, a, a moral inventory of ourselves as well. Like, what has this problem done not only to me, but to other people? Yeah, eating Oreos may not feel like it hurts other people, but if you don't live as long and you leave your kids behind at sixty instead of eighty-five, it's, those Oreos have had an impact on you.
0: Would you Would you agree that um, hedonism, um, in all forms, it leads to destruction? Like, it's,
1: it's, it's uh, all paths lead there. So, yeah, on the one end, we have hedonism, which is the absolute pursuit of pleasure. On the other, we have what's called asceticism, which is kind of that monk who lives in a cave with only a bowl of rice for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want... The answer isn't always in the middle. But in this case, hedonism is bad when taken to extremes. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy going on a vacation. I don't enjoy having cookies. I don't enjoy. But if it crosses, when we go back to that idea of um, our diminishing returns, I need to make sure I'm not going over that cliff Yeah. with whatever it is that I'm using. And so asceticism, like I'm going to live with one pair of pants, one shirt in a van. Tom's shoes. Tom's shoes because they give a pair to the kids. But um I I have yet to see pictures of kids wearing Tom's shoes <laughs> Tom's in poor shoes. Country. But I'm not indicting them. I'm sure they do. But at the, honest, price, I at the price, the price, you're yeah. basically
0: it's baked into the other shoes. Yeah. They're baked in there.
1: So um But I mean, uh, but but with hedonism, I don't mean like
0: sometimes having pleasure, but when you realize like this is important, like if you find yourself it, at work thinking, I can't wait to get home and eat. Yeah. I or can. I can't wait to just I, I like I watched my six hundred pounds. No. I think it was my 600-pound life. It might have been. Are there spinoffs? There's my 1,000-pound – or there's, like, 1,000-pound sisters. That one. Yeah. That one. Because I remember these women were ordering – ordering. what's it called when you get a, a whole sheet of, is it a sheet of cake? Sure. Like, when, for a party, like Yeah, I know what you're
1: talking about, like those Costco ones, yeah. Yeah,
0: they're getting one for each. Of, each, And they're like, well, well, hey, don't, girl, this is mine. If you want that, you can get it. <laughs> and I, so when you're at that level – or not even that level, when you're in route – when you're in route, let's say you're at half a sheet or getting yeah. there, yeah. um, you're on the road of destruction, right? Like, you,
1: you're, I'm not talking. Like, I don't know how they don't go into diabetic ketoacidosis, right? And they just frickin-
0: It's like jiu jitsu, dude. They're like, you know what? I'm up for this challenge. And yeah. uh, it's like a jiu
1: jitsu training class with no AC. Yeah. I mean, you're like, oh, I'm the, glad I, w- I made it through this. They've got, like, those women have the strong, I don't know if they're both alive still, but have the strongest like hearts and pancreases (laughs) pancreas that ever because i think most of us if we ate a sheet of of cake we would die (laughs) yeah dude do you remember
0: that old cooking show in the 90s um called two fat two fat women no i think it was called two fat women it was a british cooking show but it started airing on the food network and dude when they would cook they would like have a a filet mignon wrap it in bacon cook it in oil and all this stuff one died of a heart attack Yeah, yeah, and you're like, well, so, but, but not, no, not just having pleasure sometimes, but I mean, when when it becomes
1: beyond beyond the um, the range of normal, or you know, okay, so there's actually ways we measure this because people will come in and say, you know, I don't have an addiction problem, right? That's always uh, I drink, sure, but I don't have an addiction problem. But there's ways we can judge: is it impacting your life? One, are you doing this in the face of physical problems? meaning are you drinking so much you're causing damage to your liver? Do you now have diabetes? Um, have you hurt yourself drinking, right? People fall down the stairs. So we look, are you having physical consequences and still doing it? Are you having social consequences? You made an ass of yourself at a, a party, and now people won't talk to you. Your girlfriend left you because uh, they don't you know, want to be with somebody who's a drunk. Um, are you having trouble trying to cut down on it? You simply can't you you know, you keep saying, I'm going to go sober for a month or whatever. And, you know, 18 days in, let me have one, one drink. Um, are you building tolerance? Right. Uh, I used to drink three beers at night. Now I'm drinking six. Uh, do you find yourself going through withdrawals? Uh, you're waking up in the morning with the shakes or high anxiety, uh, those sorts of things. So th- there we're looking at, is it having an impact on your life? And, and so you, that's, that's when you're talking about hedonism, in effect, if it's starting to impact your external world, then, yeah, that's a problem. So, you know, uh, pornography drives the Internet, right? It, it makes up some ridiculous. That's what I've heard, but, yeah. I mean, who knows? Well, you know, I, don't, I don't participate. They're the first ones to really come up with processing credit cards, right, because they were really the first e-commerce. People weren't buying things online un- until they, you know, pay-per-view stuff like that. They've driven graphics, right? Getting videos online. NBC wasn't dying to get the internet going because it was going to kill their business model. Yeah. Um, they were. They've um, they've driven a lot of things. So there's a lot of people who look at it. Mm-hmm. Does that mean everybody who looks at it has a problem? No. But are you finding yourself spending money on it? That's a huge one. And this whole generation with the OnlyFans now, you know, that's a big criteria. So we look at why is. Internet porn free. That's a very good question. I'm
0: guessing, um, based on research that I've done for research per- for scientific purposes, yes, is that it's just like a it's like a, a a taste. Yep. And then they'll suck you in with you want the premium stuff. You got it. They're you know, called
1: raincoaters. We're looking for guys in raincoats. So all of the free pornography on the internet is meant to attract that 10% of guys. And the reason they're called raincoaters, it's an old term in the pornography industry, but you remember when they used to have pornography at uh, newsstands or at video stores and you'd walk in with a big raincoat and a yeah, big trench coat that a special hat. door in the back. Yeah, with your sunglasses on so no one would recognize you. That's who they're looking to get. So all of that is a free taste, and we're trying to get to that 10% who are willing to pay money. So, we'll have all this free stuff out there, and you know, 90% of you are just going to be fine with the free stuff. Are you part of the 10% that's paying? And and, you know, I don't have those percentages, just perfect. Yeah. Um, So, that's one thing. Do you have a partner who told you if you don't stop looking at it, they're going to leave you and you still find yourself looking at it? Do you find yourself watching it for a longer period of time than you thought? Like, man, uh, an hour just went by because I'm searching for my film are you finding i've
0: seen most of the things already and i'm like 10 pages in. i'm sorry i'm
1: sorry go ahead i digress exactly and am i looking do i do i have exposure issues and tolerance issues so i'm looking at um for it i have to look deeper and deeper for the thing i need because the thing i need is getting out more and more fringe yeah am i finding myself thinking about it during work am i having d e or ed Um, So ED, obviously erectile dysfunction. Now you're with a girl in the real world. She doesn't look like a porn star. The lighting isn't great. She's not, you know, waxed, um, fake tanned, hair and makeup done. And you're going, dude, I'm used to seeing a hot chick or used to seeing 30 because most people don't just click on one porn and that's the end of their search when we look at search histories, right? They go on. So am I having, you know, erectile dysfunction as a result or am I having... What we call de delayed ejaculation. I'm with my partner. I'm able to have sex, but I can't climax because normally I climax by seeing 40 different naked women. Meaning I've gone through a cup, you know, bunch yeah. of videos. So when you people go, oh, how do I know hedonism crossed the line? Um, and can I have hedonistic behaviors in my life? Yeah, people can look at porn and not have all those bad things happen. Some people can. The people who can't, I'm sorry. You're never probably going to be able to watch porn again because it's it's devastated your life. People have left you. Maybe you've lost jobs. When pornography first came on the scene, there were so many congressmen who were looking at it on their on their internet and they yeah. 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 So and there's people who still get fired over it, right? Yeah, sending stuff to people they shouldn't be sending it to. So we start going okay, we can have fun, but when it starts having deleterious effects on our workplace, our relationships, our health, then. That hedonism has crossed the line and we need to step back. Can you step back? That's going to be hard. Makes sense. Well, um, we got to wrap
0: this bad boy up. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. We've been here. I could dude. I could talk to you forever. (laughs) Um, do you have a
1: private practice at all or do you, um, I'm kind of given it. I do have a private practice. It's very small. It's just some clients I kept on, but I, 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 my management job takes most of my time.
0: Okay. So it's, do you have a – okay, so, so not the, yeah, there's not are been, you accepting
1: new patients? No, no not okay. at this time. So, so you should
0: plug your uh, – No, no. No. <laughs> um,
1: no, I, I mean, look, private practitioners are great. Uh, I just uh, – um, at this time, I, my management gig is too big, and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have enough mental bandwidth to give anyone else besides the few people I see um, the correct attention that they need. Okay. No, it makes sense. makes sense. Yeah. Um, if it, we're going to plug something. Yeah, let's plug something, man. Uh, Budo Videos. <laughs> BudoVideos.com. I have some jujitsu jitsu instructionals out there. I know it's a very weird plug but uh for a guy talking about this, but I also sell Jiu-Jitsu instructionals.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah. So Budo Videos, which is B-U-D-O-V-I-D-E-O-S. Yeah. Budo Videos. And Brent, you got to spell your last name. L-I-T-T-E-L-L. All right. So Brent. You got to pronounce that too. How do you Brent I, Littell. Littell. See, I still messed that up, but. It's
1: okay. It's a fake name anyway. Um, <laughs> no, no, meaning, you know, uh, people, my people came over on a boat and, you know, couldn't, they couldn't, people here couldn't pronounce it and spell it. So they Kinda, adulterated it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah. So yeah, check them out, Budo Video. So what are your DVDs about? Are they.
1: Um, I have a couple. Probably my bestseller is uh, the Lockdown Half Guard. Okay. So if you're really into the lockdown on an Eddie Bravo system, that's a good one. And then another one of my best sellers is going to be Side Control Escapes. It's just a whole DVD on Side Control Escapes because that's a position that people get stuck in. It's probably the worst position in jiu-jitsu. People would rather be mounted a lot of times rather Uh than have somebody who's really heavy in side control on top of them. So I tackle that.
0: Okay, yeah. And just to point out, guys, um, Brent is a a black belt in both uh, gi jiu-jitsu IBJJF yeah. organization, but then also he's a black belt under Eddie Bravo, was an instructor at his school. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I was Eddie's sixth black belt. I started with him from the beginning and I, uh, of his uh, school, 10th Planet, and I was his first fundamentals instructor at his headquarters that he taught out of. So I ran uh, his fundamentals program and then he ran his, you know, advanced program.
0: Yeah. So um, that's, uh, his background. So when we're talking about these things some of you guys are like what the hell is he talking about side mounters, control, you know, whatever. Yeah. These are all jiu-jitsu, brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, techniques or they call it now jiu-jitsu. I'm not sure. There's going to some drama going on with that. American jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah, american jiu-jitsu I hate or that. freedom jiu-jitsu. I don't know. Yeah. But then also, just to kind of give your background, you you were a clinical is it a cl- is it called a clinical uh therapist or how's Yeah, that- I'm a
1: I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of experiences uh doing that. I've worked in Medi-Cal field which is working with um, are low, lower socioeconomic uh, individuals, and then uh, I went out into the um, kind of for-pay private arena. Have r- run drug treatment centers, have run inpatient mental health facilities, um, and then I I currently oversee a, a very large mental health and addiction medicine facility.
0: Yeah, when I met you, you were I think you were running the treatment centers. the the treatment centers. But yeah, that's, so I'm just wanted to uh, to explain that. We didn't explain that at the beginning. That's how he has all this knowledge and authority in this, on this information. And I was like, look, it's just TikToks. That's where I learned it all from. Oh yeah. He's (laughs) uh, he's on TikTok. Listen to a 20 year old tell him about life. Yeah. But I I just wanted to, I wanted to point that out because, um, this is not the first podcast episode that's recorded, but this is going to be the first episode that I'm going to show. I wanted to open Uh, hard. I know that you, you know, you're you're coming with it. So I really appreciate it, and thank you for taking the time. He's coming from a long day of work managing this giant facility, which remains nameless, and then he came over here, and um, yeah. Uh, so I, I really appreciate it, and thank you for taking the
1: time. To oh, yeah, me. thank you for having me. Uh, spreading awareness of suicide its a very important thing. It's Suicide Awareness Month. Um, spreading awareness of derealization, depersonalization is something very dear to my heart. Yeah. So uh, I like that. And then spreading the knowledge about hedonism and the idea that um, people can have fun, but there's a point where it starts hurting them. And when it does, that's when we need to start trying to pull back on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100 percent. And also, guys, if you're listening to this, listen to my voice. I would recommend if you have people that are special to you, tell them that you love them. You never know what people are going through in the back of their mind. Check in on people. If there's someone that you value and you haven't talked to them in a while, check on them and see how they're doing. But don't do the simple check. Hey, you all right, dude? Yeah, I'm all right. Don't, like, really check in <laughs> on them and sincerely, you know, see what's going on. I was fortunate. I got a friend. He's he's my guardian angel, Steve. You know who you are, Steve. I always got to plug you. I don't have to plug you, but I'm just mentioning you is that this guy uh, checks on me, and that's, that's the guy who um, saved my life, you know? and got me the EMDR and set everything up. And I, I just, you know, I was, yeah. And the the crazy part is that's just who he is, you know? And so, but check on your friends, tell your loved ones that you love them. And if you're having a beef with someone that you normally have a relationship with squash the beef, man. And, and just, you know, fix all that stuff. Life is too short, but thanks again, man. I got to have you back on um, sometime soon whenever your schedule permits.
1: All right, I'm hoping right. I'm hoping all my things go well. All
0: right, cool. Thanks. All
1: right, thank you.